1: And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Well, I'm not going to lie to Matt. I didn't sleep last night. I was so excited for this episode today. I know we've got Doug Porter. Does it, does it get any bigger in the economy <laughs> world as to having Doug Porter? Um, why he takes time to talk to us, I couldn't tell you. And we don't ask. We don't ask. He just says yes. We just we get him on as quickly as possible. By far the most requested guest. I get emails quite consistently from listeners asking when he's coming back on chief economist. Yeah. You'd say Ch- chief economist at, at BMO. BMO. Yeah. It's just like, does it get any bigger than that? We've had Doug on a couple times and he's been so fortunate. He's been so insightful outlining everything that goes into it. And he really dives in like the underlining stuff that really affects how inflation works, how rates work, where, 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 where rates might go. Usually when we're doing these podcasts, I'm sitting there rambling off questions. But this one I'm I'm more listening. I get so entranced in what he's saying, trying to absorb it all. You just run with it, which is great. So I appreciate it. Thank you for doing that.
2: Well, no, you know what? I just had a lot of questions and and yeah, it was great having Doug on the show. It's uh I feel like I've said this on on the Vancouver Real Estate podcast, but some guests. You're just like I can't believe I have a half hour to ask this guy whatever I want. Oh, I know, it's, <laughs> and, it's amazing. And, uh, that like, was that
1: was, and yes. they're sharing their insight and and when they're looking at this from a national level and a a world level, like an international level, and just how things get broken down and what is what, like it's it's so insightful. There's so much to take away every time we have Doug. We're just so appreciative of him joining us as he does.
2: Absolutely. Uh, before we get to that, Corey, one thing I just want to mention because uh, I don't know if you're up to date. I know you're you're you're. You've bought new shoes for the run. Oh October yeah, 6th, yeah uh, At three yeah. PM, Jaden Lee's running from BC yeah. Children's Hospital all the way to to Chilliwack. The long route, a hundred miles. He's trying to raise one hundred fifty thousand dollars for BC Children's Hospital. I just wanted to say because I know that you, as I understand, you're showing up three sharp to start the run.
1: Oh, is that, now, is that my now, schedule? Okay. I've
2: just been told by Jaden. Now this is a bigger deal than I thought. Okay. So he has his last uh, his last appointment at three. There's now going to be outside of the hospital a 3 to 6 p.m. party. Oh. Okay. So you're not running a 3 anymore, oh. this is, but you should still come to the party. Then he's going to take off after doing a bunch of media. He's going to start his run. There's police escorting him all the way. So we're talking 26, 27 hours, however long this is going to take. He's got a police escort from Oak Street all the way to Chilliwack. There's an ambulance that's following, just in
1: case. Well, There's that's because gonna- they knew that I was going <laughs> to be there. <laughs> There's a specific
2: reason for the we animals. lost one of the
1: runners in a bush.
2: <laughs> Man down. <laughs> He's not getting back up. So I did just want to bring that up before we cut to uh, our talk with Doug Porter, because um, there is an easy way to get involved. You can obviously run and there's going to be spots along the route where you can join up with all the people running with Jaden. But if you're interested in donating, and I think everybody should, it's hard to not get behind BC Children's Hospital. Head over to either Instagram and go to underscore Jaden Lee, that's J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E, and there's a link on his Instagram page. There's also one at, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We have a link to his secure BC Children's Hospital page, or you sign up for the live wire at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com and there's a button there. I hope everybody gets behind it. It's uh it's a great cause. He's doing wonderful things for that place.
1: Yeah, no, it's amazing to hear that it's been such a it's gonna be such a huge event that there's that event there uh, after from three to six. I'm, I'm 40 now and I have running legs that only are good between three and four. So because of that, which I'm more than I'm, I'm, it's phenomenal to hear for that three to four. That's my only window, right? So I'm glad to hear the event's been so successful and going to be so big. We won't be able to run at three and four, but I will gladly step aside during that running peak hours for me to allow that event to continue on and have uh, a tremendous outcome.
2: How gracious of you, but maybe we should cut to our our talk here. It's, uh, would you say this is action-packed half hour with Doug Porter?
1: I would say if you have any level of interest, whether it's finance, real estate, or if you have two legs in a heartbeat in North America, this is the episode you need to listen to because we're going to pretty much spell out what's going to happen over the next 24 months.
2: Doug Porter, Chief Economist at BMO. Enjoy. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Okay, we're here with Doug Porter, chief economist at BMO. How you doing, Doug?
0: I'm doing well, and thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, no, th- thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. We always start our show by asking our guests, "Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?"
0: Yeah, sure. I've uh, actually been uh, an economist uh, for my entire career. I, I, I know that sounds very exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I, I started at the uh, started at the Bank of Canada back in uh, in the early nineteen eighties, but I've been on Bay Street since nineteen eighty four. Most of the time, not all of it. Most of it has been with the Bank of Montreal, and I've I've been a chief economist uh, here in Toronto uh, with with the bank for uh, for a little bit more than ten years. Uh, I manage a team of um, of, of about sixteen people. A couple of whom are now in San Francisco. We uh, we just recently acquired the Bank of the West, which is now part of EMO. So we have a small economics group in uh, in in San Francisco now. Um, and I would I would assert or suggest that uh, that we're probably the best uh, best economics shop in Canada.
1: <laughs> well, Doug, uh, like I said, for those who listen to the podcast, you need no introduction. We appreciate you taking the time. By far, the most requested guest we always get is to have you back. So we appreciate that. So I guess. I I'll I'll lead off with the questions. I know we've been we've been looking forward to this. What's going on? How <laughs> interest rates are up, inflation seems to be up over last month's stats. Can you maybe just give us a, a quick just broad strokes of just where we're at right now before we can sort of dig into some stuff in more detail?
0: So I think the really big story, and, and arguably this has been the story, the economic story for for 2023, is just how resilient uh the North American and the and the global economy have been. When you think back to a year ago, it was pretty much conventional wisdom, and I, I would say the consensus forecast uh, that North America and Canada specifically were going to go through at least a mild recession this year, that has not happened. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that the Canadian economy has been a, a ball of strength. It hasn't been, um, but it's 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 held up better than I think most expected, and definitely the U.S. economy has held up better than expected and mostly, as a result of this, we find ourselves with higher interest rates than I think anybody really expected a year ago. Uh, the Fed, you know, has made no promises about being finished raising interest rates. The Bank again has made no promises. And and maybe the you know the major story here in the last couple months in financial markets is that long-term interest rates, bond yields, are just grinding higher. And you know, for instance, uh, as 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 we speak. Uh, Ten year yields in Canada and the u s are at levels that we haven't seen since two thousand and seven, so basically, you have to go all the way back to before the global financial crisis since we've seen yields at, at these kind of levels and you know just just to put it in perspective, like recently we had the, the ten year yield in the u s touch four and a half percent. It was just four percent at the end of July. it was three and a half percent back in may that you know that is arguably one of the most important interest rates in the world. And it's gone up by roughly 100 basis points in a matter of a few months. That's, that's a big deal. And, and again, a lot of it just goes back to this underlying theme of economic resilience. And, and frankly, what that means is higher rates for longer.
2: Hey, how do you think about the resilience, Doug? Because I think it, it's caught everybody a little bit off guard. What, what accounts for the resilience in the North American and Canadian economy?
0: Well, there there are a few things to point to, but I would I would say the overall story has been the consumer. And a lot of it just goes back to the fact that uh, consumers in both Canada and the U.S. were sitting on a lot of savings after the, the pandemic. Now, and I still believe there was a lot of pent-up demand, too, for things like travel and entertainment. I mean, look at the demand for Taylor Swift <laughs> tickets. Maybe that's a bad example, a rather nope. rather specific example. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a lot of demand still for, for travel and entertainment in, in particular. And, you know, as I said, consumers were sitting on a lot of savings. We we knew that coming into this year. We just didn't know how that would stack up against the big rate hikes that we've seen. And so there was a bit of a debate who would win that battle. And it's pretty obvious that ends up demand and the extra savings dominated uh, the rise in interest rates. And so uh, I, I think it really does simply go back to the consumer. I, th- I think the other piece of the puzzle is that the, the labor market is still pretty strong. Like, and and we'll get into this later. I think, you know, we have seen some softening in in the labor market a, a little bit around the edges, but the big story there is we, you know, we've still got one of the lowest jobless rates that we've seen in in decades, in both Canada and the U.S. And you know, even though there's been some cooling, we've still been adding a lot of jobs in both economies. So underlying income growth has remained relatively firm throughout this uh, this episode, and so. You know, ultimately, it's been the consumer who still managed to to slog ahead, even even in the face of a dramatic run up in interest rates.
2: Doug, do we kind of nail the soft landing, or or do you see Canada heading into a recession, either by the end of this year or early twenty twenty four?
0: So, I personally still think that's very much an open question. Uh, you know, it, at some point in recent months, it's uh, we, we we've seen Wall Street almost act as if the U.S. has achieved a soft landing. They're there have been a few more questions about that in in recent weeks, um, because there's a lot of of new risks that are out there for the economy. But but I would say up to this point, this this is you know I I, I think we have been close to uh, so far having a soft landing. But you know the, the reality is with an economy is the the flight never really ends, right? You know once you get to one spot, you keep moving forward right. one one way or another. So you know it's not it's not guaranteed that uh, what's been a soft landing so far will will remain so. And I think there is a little bit of a distinction between Canada and the U.S. We we actually do have a somewhat weaker outlook for the Canadian economy than the U.S. economy. And much of that goes back to the vulnerability of the household sector here in Canada to the run-up in interest rates. We have a lot more household debt in Canada than they do in the U.S., and that's that's a relatively new phenomenon. That was not true 15 years ago. And our debt turns over a lot faster than the U.S. You know, a lot of Americans, of course, have 30-year mortgages. We don't have that here um and so a run up in interest rates will affect the canadian consumer a bit more harshly and a bit quicker and so we we suspect the the consumer is more likely to crumble here in canada than than in the us so i still think it's a little bit of an open question we don't officially have a recession in our forecast uh i would almost call it a recessionette uh, we've got a couple <laughs> quarters of uh, of negative gdp but they're they're not they're not back to back so it's more like a, a, a one-year period where the economy struggles to see any growth whatsoever. And we do uh, look for a little bit of a further rise in, in unemployment, but it really doesn't rise to the definition of, of a recession. Meanwhile, in the U.S., and our official forecast, we don't have a single quarter of, of negative GDP. We're, you know, Make no mistake, we don't see strong growth, um, but we just don't think the consumer is, is going to be under as much strain as it will be in Canada um, because of that that you know the, the lower level of debt and the fact that they're they're locked in for uh, for a longer period of time. So we actually see the U.S. economy uh, stumbling through with with modest growth. And I guess if I had to define it, I, I would call what we have in our U.S. forecast as as a soft landing. And and by the way, last last comment I'll make on that is that that's a question uh, Jerome Powell, chair of the Fed, gets asked all the time. You know, is is that a soft landing and that you've got in your forecast? Um, and he he will not use that term. He's he's not that confident, and you know, frankly, there there's just such a range of possibilities, and there's a lot of different risks out there uh, facing both the Canadian and the U.S. economy. I don't think anybody's quite willing to stick their neck out and say that you know, yes, we have definitely reached a soft landing, but but I I, I would say when we look back over the past year, as I said earlier, we I think the economy has held up a lot better than. We could have realistically hoped for a year ago, given the uh, the dramatic run up in interest rates and and the kind of inflation we've been dealing with.
2: And, and can we just play out the next year in Canada? Because uh, you know, I'm hearing higher for longer, uh, a struggle through the next year. Is this more like in in a weird way? I mean, I guess Corey and I are both in the the real estate world, so it's it's impacted us more dramatically than others. But it it feels like we've been purgatory for a while here. Just you know, when does this end? Uh, it sounds like, in in your mind, we got another year of kind of struggling through with seemingly data points that don't give you a clear indication of where we're headed.
0: Yeah, and I think now is the time to turn to the uh, the inflation and, and the interest rate outlook, because really that's that's going to determine whether we ultimately do go into something you know a bit more of a harder landing and, and exactly how long rates are going to have to stay at this level. It really, really does come back to uh, to inflation. And unfortunately, you know, we've now had two months in a row where Canada's inflation rate has ticked up. You know, as a reminder, we got as low as 2.8 uh, percent back in uh, in June. That that actually was within just barely, but it was within the Bank of Canada's so-called comfort zone between one and three percent. But unfortunately, largely because gasoline prices have turned from being a, a friend to a foe, you know, we've now got a four percent headline inflation rate, and maybe most. Disturbingly, we actually saw a little bit of a pickup in in underlying or core inflation in in August as well. And you know, the bank of Canada just can't be comfortable with that—the fact that inflation is both above the three and the high end of their their comfort zone at, of you know above three percent—and even underlying inflation looks like it's starting to pick back up again too. So you know, above and beyond whether the bank hikes one more time or not, I think the main message is they're going to have to stay at fairly high levels for some time. One change we've made to our forecast is we actually don't see them cutting interest rates now until the second half of next year. And even then, unless the economy really weakens abruptly, even then I think it's gonna be sort of a slow step down the staircase in bringing rates down there. I don't think they're gonna slash them. I think it's gonna be a relatively slow grind down and uh, and and I guess the the last piece of the puzzle is you know where where do rates ultimately settle out you know when when we're when we're on the other side of this inflation episode like how how low will rates get are they going to go back to the kind of levels that we became used to before the pandemic and I think the answer is no I don't th- I don't think they're going back to those kind of levels I think I think that period was an outlier. The, the decade before the pandemic, you know, keep in mind that we were still dealing with the aftermath of the uh, the global financial crisis and all you know the banking crisis in the U.S. and rates rates were probably unnaturally low for the uh, for the decade before the pandemic. So, if we think of the Bank of Canada's overnight interest rate, and you know this this is pretty closely tied to all, all short-term interest rates. Right now, it's five percent. We would expect on the other side of this. So, when we look, at, let's say about two years from now we would expect it to, to gravitate back to a range of about two and a half to three percent. So, you know, considerably lower than we are here today, but not down to the kind of extreme lows that we had in the decade before the pandemic.
1: Doug, Matt, as Matt alluded to, we, we were in the real estate side of the business with an obviously interest rates have had an impact on it. Um, I think we would both kind of say the housing market, maybe BC focused and the commercial markets over here have definitely been much more resilient, I think, than most people thought going into this. What are you guys seeing at on a national level? Has the real estate market maybe been more resilient than everyone thought considering the run up in interest rates as quickly as that took place?
0: I would say the short answer is yes, It it, it has been. Uh, more resilient, you know. It's it's interesting, and 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 it's it's kind of odd to say that, uh, given given the fact that national home prices, if we look at the Real Estate Association's home price index, they, they actually did correct from the peak in early twenty two to early twenty three by a little bit more than fifteen percent. I mean, that is a very serious correction. But I would say, if anything, that was less than many of us expected, given the kind of interest rate hikes, like we and you know other others. We're looking for a national decline of twenty to twenty-five percent, and of course, there are big differences regionally in in terms of both that forecast and what actually happened. And you know, there are a number of cities that that didn't see anything like that kind of decline, like Calgary. Calgary prices are actually higher than they were, you know, at the national peak in early twenty twenty two. So that means some cities saw, you know, much more severe correction than that. I, I would say BC did better than average. You know, it wasn't quite in Calgary's league. But if I look at Vancouver and the, even Victoria to some extent, that area held up better than, say, central Canada, especially Ontario. Now, Ontario had the biggest boom during the pandemic, and it's had the biggest hangover since. So, Ontario's been, you know, sort of the high beta region of of the country. But I, I would say, if we look at it nationally, you know, we did, we did get a nice little, you know, prices started to come back during the spring. And uh, in early summer, when uh, when the Bank of Canada, you know, looked like they, uh, they they might be done raising rates, which, you know, I think astonished a lot of us how quickly the housing market started to get back up off the mat again. And, you know, frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why the Bank of Canada started to raise the interest rates again, because housing did look suddenly, you know, so so resilient. So, you know, it's, it's almost like the real estate industry has to be a little bit careful what they hope for. Right. Because... You know the bank is watching real estate very very closely and and if real estate is a bit too healthy, then you know that actually raises the risk that the bank might raise rates further again that's that's certainly one aspect of or one one thing that's going to go into their decision of whether they actually do ultimately have to raise rates uh, one more time or not
2: doug have we seen the bottom in the residential and commercial real estate markets i know i know i i I heard the past tense there a couple times. I don't know if that was that suggests as much.
0: So, excellent question and one I'm not 100% confident answering, and, you know, ultimately, of course, this this is the question that matters, I'm sure to everyone. I would hazard to guess that nationally we may have seen the bottom because I don't believe the Bank of Canada is going to have to raise rates further from here and if they do it's it's another quarter. So, you know, most of the, I believe, most of the bad news on on rates is is already in. Um, I'm not 100 percent convinced it's completely been absorbed in the, in the market, but I, I I'm very impressed at how well the real estate market has 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 dealt with the rise in rates, including the you know the two latest rate rate hikes by by the Bank of Canada. I, I suspect, and if we look at it nationally, we're we're probably going to see the market more or less going sideways over the uh, the next six to 12 months. Um, you know, again, it, it, there, there's going to be big differences by uh, by regions, but if we look at it nationally, and by the way, it just so happens that Toronto, the Toronto area, has been pretty close to the national average for the past year or so. I suspect that uh, things are going to be more or less getting to a draw in terms of, uh, of of home prices. You know, a number of metrics suggest the market's actually relatively balanced. Now. Um, you know, it's neither a seller's nor a buyer's market. At uh, at this point, and uh, you know, of course, that pendulum has swung pretty wildly in uh, in the last eighteen months, uh, back and forth. But we now find ourselves, at least nationally, fairly well balanced. And uh, so, my my best guess at this point is we probably have passed the worst. But I wouldn't expect a a quick turn up not not with uh, not with long term interest rates still under upward pressure here.
2: I'm just thinking about the. Something we've talked about a long time for a, a number of times. We come back to it all the time on the podcast about uh, at least the Vancouver real estate bubble. It seems like the Canadian housing bubble now is is a story. The IMF said that we were the riskiest of 27 developed countries. You've mentioned our household debt being way out of line with where it was, say, 15 years ago. What's BMO's take and I guess Doug Porter's take on on the idea of the the canadian housing bubble and and how how at
0: risk are we so all i will say is i've been hearing the bubble commentary for a long long time you know it wasn't so long ago that uh, people were fretting about overbuilding and and a crash in canadian housing you know as recently as about 2012 13 even 14. you know and of course that you know history has proven made, made a mockery of those uh, those kind of calls uh, you know, if, if anything, the you know the conventional wisdom has gone exactly to the other side. Now we have, you know, this uh, uh, desperate shortage of homes. You know, of course, no less uh, an authority than the CMET is saying we have to build X million homes. You know, we're, we're always going to be unaffordable. Um, by the way, we don't totally buy into that either. Um, we, we we don't think it's nearly that uh, that extreme. Mm. Um, I certainly think there's some there is some risk in in the housing market. You know, could it could it correct again? And, and I guess this goes back a little bit to the to the last question. There, there certainly is a risk, especially if the Bank of Canada gets frustrated with the the inflational look and, and feels the need to uh, to move up short term rates even more. That would put the uh, the housing uh, sector at uh, at some further risk. But but I will say, um, you know, one thing the Canadian housing market has going for it. You know, not everybody would see this as a positive. But it does have going forward is just the incredibly strong population growth that is underpinning the market. Um, you know, in, interest rates over the near term will dominate that factor, but over the medium and longer term, demographics really do hold sway, and that that is a powerful source of support for the housing market. So you know I, I, I think there's no question about that. Um, so you know even, even if we did have a you know further correction in home prices, I suspect it wouldn't last that long. Like I, I don't think we're at the same kind of risk that uh, you know that the U.S. housing market went through in in oh six oh seven oh eight oh nine. I I just don't see us repeating that that experience. Very very different dynamics here in Canada than than the U.S. So that that's a long way of saying yeah I, I agree there are some risks in the Canadian housing market, but there there are, there are some good reasons why uh, prices are so high in this country.
1: Doug, we, we talked earlier a little bit about where the rates are now and there might be still a little bit of uptick there. And I, I guess it, from a doomsday scenario, what would potentially drive rates higher than than where they're at right now? I know you talked a little bit about how the government maybe be a little uncomfortable with the the core inflation numbers right now and that, but if things don't improve or things continue to go in the opposite direction, what would be like a, a worst case scenario these rates might look at? Like where what, what has to happen for the Canadian government to say, hey, or the BOC, to say, hey, we're going to continue to push rates up, just you know, until it's like almost unaffordable. Is that a scenario that potentially might play itself out?
0: It is, and and I don't want to downplay that. That's certainly not our, our baseline view, but it, it you know I, I would I would give it about a fifteen to twenty percent chance that you know we we get into a situation where the bank really has to slam on the brakes, and I, I doubt they'd be alone. Like this, this would probably be more of a global issue, um, you know, where the Fed feels frustrated. You know, that, that there's just no progress on inflation. like the last thing central banks want to see is an inflationary mindset really get locked in and people just come to accept four to five percent inflation or higher. And you know what, what could lead us there? Well you know if we got another spike in, uh, in oil prices or, or food prices, you know that, that could trigger you know, another wave of, uh, of, of near-term inflation that, that feeds into broader inflation expectations if, if the North American economy remains robust, and you know, when we and we start to see very strong wage increases, that sort of feed on itself as well. You know, maybe combined with strong energy prices, and, and like uh, we we probably get an indication that underlying inflation. You know, not only is it not moderating, it's actually starting to pick back up again. And maybe we get another energy price spike. Those those are the kind of things that that I get quite concerned about. That you know, the central bank just lose patience and and feel like they have to have to slam on the brakes. And I don't totally rule that out, you know, as if if you look at financial pricing, market pricing or the consensus forecast of economists, almost all of us think that rates are going to come down next year, you know, to varying degrees. But almost everybody thinks that, you know, the Fed and the bank are going to be at least trimming interest rates by by late next year. And I would just throw out there, a lot of people thought that a year ago. (laughs) And, you know, here we are still talking about possible rate hikes. So like never say never it 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 is possible that it's going to take you know more to to really quell inflation and and I think that is a realistic risk
2: you know one thing over the last couple of years, i think especially since covid uh, it seems like forecasting has gotten much more challenging at least that's what it seems like is is it say from six months or a year ago or or even eighteen months is it getting easier to forecast in your mind now uh or does it remain? Really, really challenging.
0: I, I think I think it's easier. I twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one were incredibly tough to forecast because look, you know, basically what we were trying to forecast is where the disease was going, and you know, and and how governments would react to it, and then you know how how would consumers and households and businesses then react to that? You know, there it was just like playing you know four dimensional chess, and frankly, it was a situation none of us had ever seen before. And then you know we had the other the added element that could we trust the economic data that was being produced at at the time it was just so wild you, you know? know you know we'd never seen numbers like that I, I would say we're back more in a conventional a conventional world it's it's definitely a little bit different than you know what many of us have dealt with in the last thirty or forty years but it's not unheard of or unseen before like we're not having to guess you know whether COVID is going to have another wave or not and you know whether the government's going to shut us down or not. Um, you know, we don't have to make those kind of forecasts anymore. So I, I, I think it's a bit it's a bit easier now. Well, it's a lot easier now than it was in 2021. and It's it's a, I would say it's a little bit tougher than it was before COVID. But not. I don't want to make excuses because we're we're dealing with more conventional factors that economists should be able to deal with now. So it's 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 definitely a little trickier. Actually, uh, you know, the other other day, Jay Powell was asked that question directly in his in his press conference, and and he he said. He, he frankly said the Fed is having a harder time uh, forecasting these these days, and it's it's probably true. But but uh, I don't I don't think we should uh, you know you really use that as a crutch or an excuse. You know I think we should still get the broad directions right at, at the end of the day because you know as, as I said we're dealing dealing with much more conventional uh, forces now.
2: You know you know Doug I, I feel like in the last especially in the real estate world everybody's become interested in. Employment data and all these things that we never used to care about. Is there is there one data point apart from, say, uh, the Bank of Canada meeting about the uh, overnight rate that is that you feel like is not talked about or understood enough uh, that everybody should be watching?
0: It, it depends how obscure you want to get, but uh, but I would say the one indicator that you know, frankly, even economists didn't pay much attention to. It was out there all the time, but we never really paid that much attention to it before the last couple of years. But it's become pretty important are the monthly job vacancy numbers. And both can and the US produce them. And they give you a pretty good indicator of how just how tight the job market is. Now a lot of people have said, you know, some of those job vacancy numbers are a bit bogus because you know firms might be advertising jobs that they don't actually have. You know, it's almost like a defensive measure to like keep a stable possible workers. But you know, even to me, that's a signal. If if firms think they have to have you know you know have to be able to be looking just in case, that gives you an idea that they think things are tight. And it's interesting. The job vacancy numbers basically peaked uh, in in late 21 or early 22. That that's when the job market was at its most tight. And in both countries, those numbers have come down. But there's still there's still a lot more vacant jobs reportedly than there were before the pandemic. And that's that's kind of a uh, to me a key to watch is is how quickly are those vacancies coming down uh, because that if if they really start to come down that'll give the Fed and the Bank of Canada some sense that the job market's loosening and they don't really have to slam on the brakes much more so that that's a new somewhat more obscure indicator that uh, that that we're paying attention to but if you're talking about broad numbers the look the two most important still out there are the monthly job numbers. Uh, that That actually are separate from the job vacancy numbers, so the unemployment rate, I say a person I think is the most the single most important number in the, in the employment numbers and and definitely the CPI report, the consumer price index in, in both. you know ultimately, the bank Canada is targeting inflation, so the consumer price index report is is the single most important economic report that, that that is produced every single month.
2: Last question for you, Doug, and we really appreciate your time. What will be the headline? For the rest of 2023 and 2024.
0: So, uh, you know, I'm often asked what what keeps me awake at night, and frankly, it 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 isn't economic factors; it's geopolitical factors. And, you know, what's what's the kind of thing that could tip us in into a downturn now? Uh, Like the economy is somewhat fragile at 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 this point after the rate hikes. I, I think it is, you know, some of the geopolitical risks that are out there that are that are probably most threatening and and it's interesting um you know of course in 2024 a lot of countries are going to have elections including the US and i think realistically next year will be dominated by the by the 24 election i think that that's going to absolutely you know it's probably going to dominate economics in uh, in in the year ahead um and frankly the 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 election the coming election politics could even somewhat make the Fed and the Bank can a bit shy, especially mm. the Fed about raising interest rates further. You know they do not want to become a political football. They don't want to become part of the conversation. Uh, the Bank of Canada at points has been part of the political conversation here in Canada. Uh, so, in a word, I, I actually think politics and geopolitics are actually going to dominate over the next year. But that that's a bit out of my uh, out of my scope. Uh, I would I would say hopefully the story is going to be that inflation has come down a bit and we're finally looking at some interest rate relief by the end of next year.
2: I hope so, too, <laughs> Doug. I, <laughs> all of our all of our listeners uh, will be familiar with you. But if they're looking to find out more about what you're doing uh, yourself and over at uh, at, at BMO, uh where's the best place to go?
0: You you can just Google BMO Economics and uh, almost all of what we produce uh, is is available on on our website and I would encourage your listeners to 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 take a look and poke around. I think we have lots of uh, great stuff there and uh, you know like I said you don't need a password to uh, to read most of our stuff or look at our forecasts.
1: Well, Doug, thank you once again for taking the time to join us today. All of our listeners appreciate it no end, and we look forward to hopefully having you back on in the near future when we see the rate start going in the right direction.
0: Morning, Matt. Thanks for uh, for having me, and great talking
1: to you. Excellent. Thanks so much, Doug. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. Our interview with the one and only Doug Porter, Chief Economist, BMO. I don't even know where to start. This
2: is one where I'm going to listen again. Yeah, you have to. Have to. Um, yeah, because I feel like I'm. There's a lot of things he said that I'm. I'm processing. I'm in the. Yeah. I'm in the processing stage. Uh, yeah. This is how it works. Doug's processing very quickly. As it says, is very obvious. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna. We're gonna listen back, take a week, listen again to really get everything out of this. But uh, man, what a great episode!
1: One takeaway I had there is we was talking about you know where do rates go back to when they get back there. And you I mean I think a lot of people that especially people in the real estate business, if you are looking at. Kind of where we were in like late 2020, 2021, maybe even early 2022, and we're still dealing with like COVID-type interest rates. low. if you're buying assets and you're you need those type of cap rates and interest rate numbers to make your investments work, I think you have a challenging 2025, 2026 ahead of you when those numbers come due for refinancing because those were, you know, outliers outliers when it comes to how rates were going to go. And I think Doug made a good point talking about where do they go when they're coming back. And and one thing that you know, I never really put as much thought into this, but obviously it's it's, you know, he does, is the rates we saw kind of pre-COVID were probably still like the slight tailwinds we were feeling from the financial meltdown. That's why they were where they were. So I think if you're looking at numbers thinking it has to go back to like pre-COVID interest rates. We might not get back there, so we might be dealing with a little bit higher numbers moving forward, and that might be the new norm. The the or or even the old norm, the old norm, yeah, yeah, pre financial meltdown there. So I think that was good. He talks about the BOC rates, maybe potentially getting back to that two and a half, three percent. That doesn't mean that you're going to go to BMO and get two and a half three percent. That's what the Bank of Canada's overnight posted rate is. You're going to show up at BMO and probably get like four to five percent type yeah. of thing. So yeah, yeah. So.
2: but I uh, I'll gladly take it. Oh yeah! Right, uh, at this right stage, now, I'll gladly right now, take. I'll take.
1: It. I'll take six right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I just was maybe a bit more depressing, and I, I'm not sure. I hope I'm wrong about this, or I hope Doug's wrong about this, but I don't think he is. The headline for 2023, 2024 being all political, and and what's geopolitical, and also the the upcoming elections in the, especially in the U.S. I'm just so sick of that stuff. I just can't I can't even imagine if that's dominating the next year I want to turn off but well
1: I think there's there's so many things that feed into that, right? And like if you look at the the liberal government here in Canada, Justin Trudeau came out and they talked about getting rid of the GST on purpose-built rentals, which was a promise I think made 8 years ago. Yeah. But it's clearly made leading up to what's going to happen next year and how that will impact and we're very fortunate when that news came out, I went to good friend of the show Byron Chard who I I might be overstating this, but I think they've got like 2,000 or 2,500 rental doors coming down the pipeline. Right. So who better to ask than a chartered accountant by trade that now is CEO and president of one of the biggest development companies with that much work and that much purpose-built right. rental? So I reached out to him right away. I said, hey, would you come on and talk about this? Because you're, you're living this. Yeah. And he was he was jumping at the opportunity. So we're oh, very great. we have him coming on. but. Let's get back to the point about, about, about the liberals. There, there's things starting to leak now. They're going to lead into next year. And I think this whole economy situation is going to be, you know, top of the political of course, charts, yeah. right, is did the liberals or did the government put us in this position? Did they act – did they react too slow? Did they give out too much money? It's all hindsight now, but I think it's going to be top of mind during the whole political race it, of how this how this impacts us moving forward. You know it puts me in mind of a line
2: Doug Porter said? Yeah. The flight never really ends.
1: No. <laughs> No, the plane might run out of gas, but it just keeps going.
2: (laughs) Corey, how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright Commercial?
1: Uh, They can reach out to me anytime. They can send me an email, corey at williamwright.ca. You can visit our website, williamwright.ca. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. Or you're always welcome to call our Vancouver head office, 604-428-5255. Tell us what you're looking for, and we will gladly put you in touch with the best broker in the province.
2: And uh, of course, all these episodes do end up at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's our website where all things real estate related live, both commercial and residential. You can search specific as you want to get topics on the site and go back to listen to evergreen content. I would encourage everyone to do so at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I think that's another week in the can, Corey.
1: Another week. We've got some great episodes lined up there. Byron we've, and got, charded, we've got I, Byron Chard coming up. We're going to talk yeah. all about how, what does this GST main mean for purpose built rentals. And I think people will be for people that probably don't operate in that world, the general consensus is if you build a, a purpose built rental building, so you're creating you know housing, and you keep the building, you don't stratify it and sell it off to the end consumer, you as that building owner are going to pay. The government your five percent GST just right. to keep the property. Yeah. So you know people people be scratching their heads and think that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well if, When you Why sell, are you disincentivizing people exactly. From building houses, so if I have a building, especially you know,
2: purpose built rental. Well,
1: it's, but if I have a building when it's done and it's worth hundred million dollars, now obviously I'm going to have some input tax credits to offset this a little bit, but the general consensus is I'm writing a check for five million dollars when I'm done, and it just doesn't. It never really made a lot of sense. Um, I understand that governments get addicted to taxes and I get that and I understand where they go. And you I mean I'm I'm believe it or not, I'm happy to pay my taxes in this country because they go to good things. But it just doesn't make sense. Like, so you were struggling for housing. We have record setting construction costs right now, record setting land prices, record setting immigration numbers. And I want to build housing and you want to dip back into my pocket and make it more affordable for me to build housing that you need. So we've got Byron Chard coming up on there. We got John Switzer from Impact coming up. He's going to dive into all the rates and how the bonds market affects the interest rate market. So he's going to jump into all of that stuff. we got him coming up next week because I wanted to back up Doug with John. John doesn't even know how that, that we can even say his name in the same sentence as John, as as Doug. Sorry, but we want to have him. In, where are rates? What's going on in the commercial lending world? So we have him coming up and we got a whole bunch of financial information and economy stuff coming up for everybody.
2: Fantastic. Have a good week. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Subscribe today.